A number of years ago, um, back when Jay Leno was still doing The Tonight Show, he would go to this thing called The Man on the Street, where he would go interview people on the street. And one of the episodes I saw one time was where he was doing Bible knowledge questions. And on this particular day, he got these two young women and he said, he started this question. He, he just said, can you name one of the 10 commandments? And they were like, yeah, freedom of speech. <laughs> I think we all, most of us know the 10 commandments a lot better than that. But I wonder if we know how they bring life and how they do more than just look like a set of rules. We're going to be looking at this now. Today we're starting a sermon series. It's our summer sermon series where we're going to look at each of the Ten Commandments over the next ten weeks. It's the longest series we've ever done, but it's going to be one commandment each week, and we'll start um, that today with the first one. But as we look at it, we want to look at these as not just some kind of uh, list of rules and regulations for us to follow, but as something that will bring life. And something that will help us uh, to connect and know deeper love and God's beauty for our lives. Because at the end of the day, there, there are things that are helping show what the way the world should be. And are helping us lean into those kinds of, of things that we do. It. They're, they're words that are ultimately deep. And I'm convinced that each of them speaks to us in some way. Even though you may initially think, well, I'm not a murderer or whatever else or d- the different things. There's something that they're going to, it will say to each of us, each one of these as we go through them. And, um, you know, it's interesting how some of the great theologians of the past really reflected on these rules. I mean, Martin Luther, back at the time of the Reformation, um, had some really uh, strong opinions about how powerful these, uh, the Ten Commandments are. This is what he said. Anyone who knows the Ten Commandments perfectly knows the entire scriptures. That's where he put it. So if you know these well, you'll know the entire scriptures. So I want to encourage you to join us on this journey. And if you miss any of these, you can, while you're traveling or doing things during the summer, you can get the sermons from our media um, stuff on the web. So you can pick back up or, or listen to wherever you are. That's one of the great things about streaming. You can catch it even while you're on vacation. Today, what we want to do is we want to look at... Um, a little bit of introduction to the Ten Commandments, a little bit of context and background, and then we're going to look at the first one, the very first one, and I'll say more about what that is uh, in just a minute. But as we start that, let me let me just kind of give some some background context. You probably know this, but the Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Old Testament. You'll find them in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. So they're two different lists. They're a little little different in how they, they're worded and some minor details, but they're, those are the two sets. And then where, what is the context? How do we get these? I think most of us have heard this story, but I think before you start looking at them, it's helpful to pause and think about it for a minute, right? So go back, you know, I think they say it's 13th century BC and go back to where you have this large group of Jews that, have, that are in slavery in Egypt. And God eventually raises up Moses who is going to go and present the case of the Pharaoh. We know the stories about the plagues and all the different things that happen and along with that. And then ultimately, Moses is able to win their freedom and then they head off into the Sinai Peninsula and they're heading you know, down south on the Sinai Peninsula, ultimately getting to Mount Sinai. But as they go off into the desert, they, they're free. They're not slaves there anymore, but they're not living in freedom. They get all these different things going. I don't know if it's because they, they just haven't had this freedom before or what it is, but they're now having issues apparently with adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and all these different kinds of things. Or these are things going on. These are practical things that are, that are actually going to come down. And I think it's important before we start looking at this list 
to just think about all of this, how much God has loved this group of people, that he's formed them into a people. This is the defining event that, that creates this group. And he loves them and leads them and does all this, but he's got these issues going on. And he's, not, he's now gonna help with this, basically. I mean, and it, so it's not just some dry legalistic list. It's in this relationship and in this context and in this love. And I think it'd be wrong for us along with that if we approach this list thinking that this was given so that if people can hold these up and live these well, that that's how we'll earn God's love. One, he already loved them before this, but two, this brings us back to how we would begin to emphasize and talk about grace and how we already have God's love. We've already been called as God's children, but these still have an important place and an important role in finding that beauty that God calls us to and finding this way, the way to live. And God will help us in, in live, leaning into these, right? And going to it. So that's the, the context of how we get there. So they get to Mount Sinai, all these different issues are going on. And then of course, Moses goes up the mountain and uh, has communes with God. And then he's gonna get the list, right? And you, of course, you know who the biggest lawbreaker in the Bible is. It's Moses, he broke them all that day when he came down. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> he broke them all right there and had to go back up and get the second set. Um, so he comes back down with, with the 10. And that's what we have and that's what we're looking at. And again, as we start thinking about approaching this list and thinking about this list, there are a number of things to pause. You know, a number of years ago, there was a big commotion about a judge in Alabama, as I recall, who put the Ten Commandments up on his courtroom wall and there was all this litigation about taking these things off. I wonder in looking at that, if, if it's looking at the list as if it were some kind of objective list that's pulled out of this context of faith. And um, it's interesting to me how some of the theologians who write about this will talk about how you, you're really not in a place to understand these outside of the context of faith. Or as Stanley Harawas and Will Willimon say in their book on the Ten Commandments, they also say not only that, but not only will we really not understand it outside of the context of faith, but you won't be able to live it. It's basically almost impossible to do this outside of doing it in faith and in community. That's part of what this is all involved. And they were, they were responding because a number of years ago, Ted Koppel had done the commencement address at Duke and he painted the picture of how bad things were in society. And his solution that he mentioned in his, in his commencement address was to then read the Ten Commandments and saying this would heal all these wounds. And their point was, well, it'll make, it'll make things better, but people are not not gonna understand them and really live them unless it's being done in community and in a community of faith. So anyway, but we begin to think about these different aspects of, of how we approach it and what's involved with it all. And uh, that leads us then to looking at this very first one um, as we turn in these, I'm gonna read from Exodus uh, 20, um, that particular version that we get. And this is um, Exodus 20 verses one to three. And you know, even before I, get, before I read that, let me pause for one second just to say one thing that can kind of be confusing. Because if you decide you're gonna go do some research on this and you start searching the web or doing different things, you need to know that different parts of the Christian community number these differently. Um, so if you look at what Lutherans and Catholics do, they'll number them a certain way. They'll put the first two together. If you go say, well, no, actually I wanna go see what some of the Jewish scholars say about it. They will number, what I'm gonna show you in a minute is the preamble, they'll call that number one. 
and then what I'm looking at today is one, they'll call two. So all the, the upshot of all this, you don't need the details, is just know that the numbers vary a little bit. So if you look at different books or different sources, they're not always going to line up just directly depending on what, where you're looking at it. But Exodus 20 verses 1 to 3 says, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So in the, in the Jewish context, that, that's the first command. But then it goes on, you shall have no other gods before me. And that's what I'm calling the first one today as we look at it. And I want to I wanna unpack that passage a little bit, the way it starts, how then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God. And when it says, um, I am the Lord your God, that's one of those words that um, I don't think I knew this before seminary. That, and I don't know that I read all the footnotes, but if you know the word Lord there is actually, it's the word, it's Yahweh, which we don't have translated in our English Bible that way. But if you look at all the footnotes, you'll see why. But the tradition along the way was that that was uh, a word not to be pronounced because it was too sacred. And, um, and so really in respect to that, it stays that way, but it's used like over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. But it's this word that goes back, if you go to the start of Exodus, it's this moment where, if you remember how Moses is, getting, uh, is out tending the flocks and he gets this burning bush that, where God is talking to him and telling him he's got this role for him. He's got all these things he wants to do to say, no, I don't want to do it. And one of the things he says along the way is, um, I don't know what to call you. And God says, well, I, I am who I am. And this word is, is where this is going to come from is to be. And you start to think, okay, what is, that's what the start of this thing. What is all that meaning that's tied up in that word? Well, it's this whole idea that all being, all of us, everything is because of God. He's the one who brings this being. He's the one who's created us. He's the one who's made the cosmos and the smallest particles and everything we had. And we talked about this, I think about a little over a year ago when we did talk about gratitude, but all of this is meant to be a way that brings us to a place of gratitude when we begin to understand that everything is being and is held in place ultimately um, by God. And so we kind of think about that with some of that, the packaging of how that gets um, put, in, put into place, that God is the one who is this Yahweh. And, um, and then we begin to think about um, other aspects that go from, from there. There are other words that we could spend on, but I think even before we get to that, the command, that little preamble is a reminder of how God led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so we know that God is the redeemer. And, and again, these are things that are being given to us in love that are calling us to, to deeper places. And then, so we get to this, uh, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And I don't know when you first read that, you may think, oh, this, this is easy. I don't worship Baal. I don't have any other gods that I'm, that are competing with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This one's easy. We can just keep moving. Let's number two. But I think maybe we should pause there for a moment and ask, how are we defining God in this place? Because what if you turn now and say, you're not to have any other gods beside me, but what if we say the gods in our lives are the things that we worship? And what if it's anything that would be a God substitute is what we're talking about in this place? What is calls us to our highest allegiance? What do we value the most? What has the biggest 
influence on us and how we live? What is it that we've really set up as a throne of our lives? What drives us more than anything else? When we start to think of it that way, and maybe start thinking about God, a God that's competing with the true God that way, now we have a little struggle maybe. I know I certainly do. And this isn't, uh, this isn't something novel to speak of it this way. I think you can see this in Jesus's own teaching. I'll say more about that in a minute, but you think about how Jesus in uh, like Matthew six will say, you're not able to have two masters and able to serve two masters. It's either gonna be money or it's gonna be God. You've got things that are competing for that place. Or you think about how this is an ongoing issue that we face when you think about in Matthew 13, how Jesus is telling the story of the sower of the seeds and he's putting out all the seeds on the path. And one of the group of seeds he talks about are the ones that fall amongst the thorns and the thorns grow up and choke it. And then he goes on to interpret this parable saying, those thorns are all the cares of the world and, and money and wealth and all the different things are part of what chokes it. Something that's competing to be in, a, in the place that's not meant to be, that something else is meant to be there. And I wonder for us living out our lives across society, those of us in this room, each of us as individuals, what are those things that want to vie to be in that top place? As we've said, money. I think, you know, you can go look at society across the board and see lots of substitutes that go in there. Power, sex, um, body sometimes. All these things can be good. These are gifts. It has to do with whether they're in the wrong place, whether or not they are wanting to be the top allegiance, to be the God of our lives. And I think sometimes it can be any really good things. Now this one will, um, is I think hard to take on board, but is it possible that even your family becomes that God? Where you're putting your family above the place where God is meant to be? Or, or is it God and then family and then whatever else? Do we have things in the right order? Or do we live our lives functionally as if the only thing that mattered, the top allegiance above everything else, is our family? It's been said in our first reading today, I think is a reminder of that whole passage with Adam and Eve and everything that's going on there. But it's been said that there really is only one sin. Some people will say this. There's really only one sin. And that is to put yourself on the throne of your life in the place where God's meant to be. That when we do that, that's, uh, that's where we're tripping up on this first commandment. Martin Luther, uh, again, he wrote about the, these, uh, the commandments a good bit. He says this about the first commandment. What does it mean? This is what he says. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, above everything else. That's what we should, we should be about. We take this commandment then and we begin to think about what Jesus does with it. Or what does Jesus do with this commandment in the New Testament? Well, Jesus mentions six of the commandments, um, the 10 commandments in his teaching explicitly. This is not one of them explicitly by number kind of, or by referencing to those, but you can see him teach and model this for us, right? You can think about when Jesus is asked by the lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? And his answer is that you'll love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And that's it. He's saying God is meant to be number one. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, he's put into that place. 
And that's where it, he's meant to be held. Or you think, go back to, again to Matthew 6, where he says, seek the kingdom first. Everything else is going to take care of itself. But keeping God in that place and holding on to that. Or we think about the Lord's Prayer when he goes to teach us to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's all about putting him first. What does he want? His kingdom, his will, and hallowing out him. And then he models it for us. Because you, you think about lots of different things, but when he's under maximum stress in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating blood and thinking he knows what's coming and he has this moment where he, he asks, you know, can you let this cup pass? But not my will be done, but yours. He's modeling it, holding, holding it there in that place. And so for us, I, I want to leave you um, this week thinking about this and and. And, and as well right now, but what do you have at the center? What's at the center of your existence? What is the thing that calls the greatest allegiance from you and drive from you? If it's anything other than God, then join me in repenting of that and coming back and asking God to help us get things grounded right and get to this right place with grace and with love and with the help of the spirit, he'll, he, he'll help us with that. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you call us on this journey and you give us all kinds of ways to, to help us. The things you teach us in scripture, the gift of your spirit, the gift of this community of people who want to follow you. Lord, as we enter into this study and this um, series, we ask that you would use this to bring life, to help us find more beauty in you and in life itself. And on this first one, as we think about what's at the center, we ask that you would help us by your grace to hold on to you and keep putting you in that place day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.